I want to turn our attention to the book of 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 1, verse 3. If you've got your Bibles or you've got it on your mobile device, turn there with me. If not, you will see it on the screen behind me. That is 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says this, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Paul goes on to say to Timothy, he says, I remember your genuine faith. Look at your neighbor say, genuine faith. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith, the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. Verse 6 says this. It says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Look at your neighbor and say, fan into flames. Fan into flames. Um, I was trying to think of a cool story or a funny story that had to do with like fire or, or fireworks. And, you know, I think especially young men, um, I think at some point in our life, we will do something just very irresponsible when it comes to fire. Young men, would you attest to that, that you have done something that is uh, not smart? Some would say stupid. Uh, your parents would say stupid or idiotic. Uh, I've had those moments. Just show of hands again. I just want to make sure I'm not alone. Guys and girls, if you've just done something very stupid with fire in your life, and like I'm talking about like not an accident, like I'm talking about like intentionally being stupid with fire. We got some people, right? There's just something about it that, that draws us. I don't know what it is about the elements and the property of fire that makes us look at this dangerous thing and say, I should do something stupid with this. But that's what we do. And uh, I've, I've thrown gas on a fire. Who's thrown gas on a fire before? Yeah, I did that one time at my cottage, and I had a, a margarine container, and I poured gas out of the gas tank into the margarine container and just, like, threw it on the fire. And I was definitely way too close. Um, you know, I've lit a barbecue that the propane was on for too long with the lid up, and it just, like, blew up in my face and, like, singed my eyebrows. Anybody lost some, some body hair because of fire before? A couple people were like, uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's okay. Now, now, one of the most memorable stories for me, actually, is, uh, is this time that I don't remember the holiday. Maybe it wasn't even a holiday, but there was a friend and, and myself, and uh, we wanted to go buy fireworks. I don't know why, but, but we did. Um, and that, this is where my stupid fire story comes from. So we went and bought these fireworks, and not having ever used uh, fireworks before, there was a little bit of a misunderstanding of how this specific kind of firework operated. Uh, it was called a Roman candle. Anybody ever used fireworks before or lit a Roman candle? Okay, so the Roman candle is just the one that just kind of like pops up into the air like one at a time, like every five seconds. And it was really cool because when I lit the Roman candle and, you know, held it in my hand like this, 
it didn't launch from the top because I had it upside down. And so it was just promptly launching at my feet. And so in that moment, of course, I thought this was crazy and I wasn't like going to try and flip it around in between, you know, fireworks shooting out of it. So I just threw it on the ground in the middle of the road and it was just like firing into people's dooryards and nothing caught on fire, but it was just really stupid. Look at your neighbors. It was really stupid. You probably have a similar story. Now, um, out of stupidity, and, and for those that maybe haven't done stupid things with fire, uh, I did bring an illustration uh, to show everybody tonight. Some of you may have done this before. Some of you may not. And uh, Pastor Jack is away, so uh, he's likely not watching the live stream. He's probably watching main service. And uh, hopefully we don't catch the church on fire while he's gone. Is everybody good? You're with me just for a second. I'm going to put the mic down. But that could have very quickly turned into a very stupid fire story because the, uh, the lighter caught on fire. It's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, how many of you have done that before? It works a lot better with, like, axe or old spice because it, like, shoots further and it's super cool. Gavin, would you mind just for safety? What? Yeah, just take it outside for me if you don't mind. Just, like, set it on the, the curb or something just so we don't light the church on fire. Um, anyway... It's a crazy story. It'd be an awesome story. Hey, hey, Pastor Jack, man, I hope your vacation was, like, super good and spent time with your family. And, like, I just, you know, uh, the church is just not there anymore. Uh, it's crazy. Um, it was just hairspray and a lighter, and I got scared, and I threw it on the ground, and just the whole place got on fire. What can I say? Um, now, if you know the story, Pastor Jack is actually the one who uh, almost lit the church on fire one time. But he can tell you that story. It's not my fire, my fire story to tell. Uh, in Canada this year, we've had tons of, of different wildfires and, and things going on in our nation. And uh, so far this year, there has been about 4,000 different active wildfires. Now, we understand that fire is powerful. Fire has the ability to destroy. But if harnessed correctly, if we use fire in a manner uh, to our pleasing, fire can actually be harnessed and used for good. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 to 12, it says this. I baptize uh, with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. This is John speaking and talking about Jesus. He says, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave or carry his sandals. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Everybody say fire. 
This is a good fire. John is talking about when the Holy Ghost is soon going to be poured out after Jesus is resurrected and ascends into heaven. He said he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It's a good fire. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gather the wheat into his barn, but the burning chaff will but the chaff will burn in never ending fire. There is this property to fire that can be dis- destructive and there is this picture being painted by John saying that God is going to send his spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire but those who do not produce fruit those who are not wheat that can be harvested and put into the barn, those that live contrary to the word of God, they are actually going to be burnt up with never ending fire. There is this contrast. There is good fire and there is bad fire. And when we go to the book of Acts and we see the Holy Ghost being poured out for the first time, Acts 2 says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, or as we would say today, other tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We understand through the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we could go through many different examples that uh, that show us and remind us that the Holy Ghost is likened unto a fire that ignites the life of those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it all through the scripture. There are these analogies. And so when we go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, we see Paul speaking to Timothy, and he says, this is why I am reminding you, Timothy, to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands upon you. Now, those, those words, fan into flames, it means to, to kindle afresh. It means to take a fire that doesn't have any uh, fuel on it. It's really just a bed of coals, and you're wanting to get it burning again to stir up the coals. It means to stay ablaze, to keep in full flame, to add fresh fuel, or to reactivate. Now, Paul, he's not correcting Timothy. He is not angry with him. He is not scolding him. He is not offering correction to him, but rather what Paul is doing with Timothy is he is encouraging him because he was trying to tell Timothy that, you know what, Timothy, you have everything that you need. Timothy, you've been filled with the Spirit of God. You have everything that you need on the inside of you. You are filled with the Spirit. But Paul, his pastor, was encouraging him to fan the flame in his life. He didn't need anything new. He didn't need anything different, or he didn't need anything special. Everything he needed was on the inside of him. And he was not correcting Timothy in the sense that his fire had gone out. No, there was a a fire. There was some semblance of a flame that was burning in Timothy's life. He was encouraging him to build it up further, not to restart a fire that had died, but the fire that was already burning in his life by way of the Holy Spirit, fan into flame, put some fuel on the fire, stir up the coals, add fresh fuel, do something to push that little bit of a flame that's there now and let it be set ablaze. Let it be set 
ablaze. Timothy's fire had not gone out. Every fire needs repeated stirring and rearranging to keep it burning brightly. And this is why we can look at the lives of some Christians and it does not look like they are, quote unquote, what we would say, on fire for God. That analogy, again, pointing to the scripture of someone who is filled with the Spirit, continually filled with the Spirit, being on fire for God. Sometimes in your life, you could admit, and I, in my life, I could admit, it's not much of a fire, but really it just looks like a little bit of ashes. It's, it's just something that because something was put on it or something extinguished it or there was out so, outside uh, sources that tried to put out that fire in my life, it was just a bed of ashes and there was just a little bit of smoke rising from the ashes. There were smoldering ashes. There was not really a whole lot there. A little bit of heat, maybe enough to keep it going if, if it was tended to properly, but the fire can die out. So the question is, how do you rekindle the fire. We need to make sure that we are rekindling, that we are rearranging and making changes in our life to make sure that the fire doesn't go out. We can make changes. We can do some rearranging. If, if you're struggling in your devotional life with the Lord, uh, you can try a different time slot, do anything, do something. If it feels like it's been a while since you've read the word, just start out small, but do something to just fan that little bit of fire in your life into flame. It is actually the natural tendency of fire to burn out. Fire cannot go forever. It needs oxygen, it needs heat, and it needs some sort of fuel. And so when the Holy Spirit fills us, and again, there is this imagery of a fire, it is actually natural that the fire would go out if not properly tended to and if not given enough fuel. The tendency of fire is to go out. We need to make sure that we watch for the fire on the altar of our hearts. I want to tell you tonight, as I've had people ask me this question before, but when we are filled with the Spirit, with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, uh, that happens once and once only. We use the terminology that people are refilled. How many of you have heard that before? Refilled. Somebody's been refilled with the Holy Ghost? Well, somebody can be refilled if they have gotten to empty, but the Bible actually tells us that we can't lose the Holy Ghost, okay? We can't receive the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues and then somewhere along the way lose it. It can be like a car. The gas tank can get empty. The fire can be just a little bit of a pile of ashes, a little bit of heat. A little bit of smoke, but not a whole lot going on. But we cannot lose the Holy Ghost. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 16 tells us this. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, congratulations. You have received it once and once only and it will not go away. It can be dormant. But you don't lose the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us that. But the Bible tells us a few other things about the Spirit of God and how we interact with it. Although we cannot lose it, we can resist it, 
we can grieve the Spirit, and we can also quench the Spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, you can resist it. Tell them they can grieve it, and you can quench it. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 tells us this. It says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart, and you are deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. They are talking to these people, not Christians. These are people who have not been filled with the Spirit. And not only are they not filled with the Spirit, but they are rejecting the moving of the Spirit, and they are rejecting the teaching of the Acts church. They would see miracles and signs and wonders and still miss what the Scripture and the prophets have prophesied about this outpouring. They would resist the Spirit. Now, resisting the Spirit is not something that Christians do. Resisting the Spirit is strictly for those who have not been filled with the Spirit and do not have a relationship with the Lord. So I want to skip to the other two. We can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, I'm going to read it in the King James and then go to the New Living Translation because they both say it well. But the King James Version says this. It says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. From the New Living, it says this. It says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He is the one who has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. There are many ways that we can grieve the Spirit of God. There are ways that we can grieve the Holy Ghost that we have been filled with. Now, this is a bit of an odd thing to think about because grieving, this feeling of loss or mourning or just feeling upset, this is an emotion. And it is hard for us to attach an emotion to the Holy Ghost. But the Bible tells us that it is so, that we can grieve the Spirit. We can neglect holiness, and we can grieve the Spirit. We can think in purely materialistic terms, and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit exalts Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us in John chapter 15. And when we fail to do the same, we grieve the Spirit. C.H. Spurgeon, he said this on grieving the Holy Spirit. He said, I think I now see the Spirit of God grieving When you are sitting down to read a novel and there is your Bible unread, perhaps you take down some books of travel and forget that you've got a more precious book of travels in the Acts of the Apostles and in the story of your blessed Lord and Savior. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit, it sees you very active about worldly things and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then... He is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things more than you love him. 
it is hard for us to attach an emotional response when we think of the Holy Ghost. But the Word, the Bible actually tells us that when we live contrary to the Scripture and when we put things before the Lord that were never intended to be there. Going back to a few weeks or a few months ago when we talked about the concept of idolatry and understanding what it really means, it grieves the Spirit. There is an emotional response from the Holy Ghost that is in your life when you are prioritizing other things over God. It hurts. Anybody ever felt grief before? Maybe it's a loss in, in your life, a family member, or, or a sickness, or, or just a family situation, whatever it is. Maybe you've lost a pet before, and you just feel that grief. It's this weight, something that is challenging you. That is what the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit feels when we don't live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. There was a a theologian who studied on this word grieve in the New Testament. He said this. He said he he ran to his bookshelf and he pulled out a a Greek uh, New Testament um, study book to discover exactly what the word grieve meant. And he found that this word grieve, it was uh, taken uh, from the the Greek word lupet, L-U-P-E-T-E. And he goes on to say it surprised him of the language of the scripture using this word, this word that denotes pain or grief in the life of somebody because this word is typically used in the context of a married couple and one of them has been unfaithful. This word would normally be used to picture a husband or a wife who has discovered that their partner has been unfaithful. And as a result of this unfaithfulness, the betrayed spouse is shocked, devastated, hurt, wounded, and grieved because of the pain that accompanies unfaithfulness. This tells us, first of all, that there is a relationship between us and the Spirit of God. And the Spirit, God Himself, His Spirit that is on the inside of us, loves you so much that it grieves Him when He sees you sharing your affection for other things, other people, and spending your time doing things while you are neglecting spending time with Him. The same feeling that a a spouse or a, a husband or wife would feel when they find out that their spouse has been unfaithful is the exact same word that the Scripture lays out for us in describing the relationship that we have with the Spirit of God when we are not living up to our end of the bargain, when we are living unfaithful to the relationship that we have with God. It's unfaithfulness. It grieves the Spirit. It's hard for us to understand, but it literally hurts the heart of God when you, in your relationship with Him, you neglect Him and He sees you spending all your time on anything and everything else except for Him and His Word in prayer and devotion and study time. You make time for everybody and everything and every event and every extracurricular activity, but your Bible sits there and it's dusty. That grieves the Spirit of God. It hurts Him like a spouse that has been unfaithful. And so we are challenged in this scripture. Do not grieve the Spirit. Don't be just a taker in this relationship that you have with the Lord, but you need to make sure that you are being a giver. Do not grieve 
the Spirit. Don't be unfaithful in your relationship to the Lord. Make sure that you're not making time for everything else except for Him. Spending your energy on everything else except for Him. It grieves the Spirit. And finally, the Word tells us that it can be quenched. Music, you can come back with me. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, reading from the King James. Simple verse, four short words. It says, quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. We can resist it as unbelievers. Even as Christians, we can resist it in a different way. Obviously not the same as somebody who is not filled with the Spirit. But we can wrestle. We can grieve the Spirit. We can literally hurt the heart of God by our unfaithfulness and and wavering to everything in the world and not paying any attention, not spending any time with Him. But the one that I feel that we see most predominant in our day and in our culture is that we can quench the Spirit of God. The literal definition of quench, it means to extinguish or to put out. It's the equivalent of pouring water onto the flames. Figuratively, figuratively, as used in this verse, it actually means to dampen, to stifle, to hinder, repress, or prevent the Spirit from exerting His effect or performing the work in the believer. Clearly, the reference is not to the person of the Spirit Himself, for He is eternal God and can never be extinguished. The Spirit is all-powerful. The Holy Ghost gives us the power to do things that we in our own human nature cannot do. God's Spirit, it heals people, it delivers people, it sets them free, it gives insight and direction, it operates through us in the gifts of the Spirit. So when the the Bible is telling us to quench not the Spirit, it's not talking that we can do something that would actually make the Spirit lose its power. God is all-powerful. Look at your neighbor, say, God is all-powerful. There is nothing that you can do to make the Spirit less powerful. But what the Word is referencing is that we can hinder, we can reduce, we can hold back the Spirit from doing the things that it wants to do in us and through us. It's not that it doesn't have the power to do it, but it's that there is something in our life or something about us that is actually fighting against and resisting. It's actually putting out that that flame, that fire that is burning in our life and actually not allowing the Spirit to do the work that it can do. God's fire can never be extinguished. It doesn't lose its power, but it can lose its ability to do things in our life if we are not fanning the flame. This, this word quench in this verse, it's plural. Paul, he's he's not talking to one specific person. He is talking to the entire church in Thessalonica. He's telling them, you can put the fire out. You can quench the Spirit. You can put it out. You can quench the Spirit. He's telling them, you know what? Stop hindering. Stop fighting against or, or pressing against the Spirit in your life. Because by doing this, you are actually preventing him from exerting his full influence in your life. Again, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, don't despise the operation of the Spirit, either in yourselves or in your brethren. Don't quench him by 
neglect or much less by opposition. So the question is this, how do we quench the Spirit? How do we as the church, how do we as individuals quench the Spirit? But I want to ask you tonight, are you quenching the Spirit of God in your life? Is there something in your life that is pushing back against God wanting to use you? Is there something in your life that is is hindering the Spirit of God from being able to operate in your life? How do we quench the Spirit? Well, here's a few examples, and I'll close with this. We quench the Spirit when we ignore Him, whether willingly or unconsciously. We limit the ability of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we ignore it willingly or unconsciously. We can make a choice not to pray, not to fast, not to read the Word, not to come to church, not do any of that. But oftentimes, especially for those that love the Lord and come to church and try to be as faithful to His house as they can, it's not that we willingly make the decision to say, you know what, I am not praying today no matter what happens. I just, I've never had a day like that in my life. Nope, no matter what I do today, I am not reading the Bible. I don't care what goes on this week or this month, I am not fasting. I don't think that's what we do. But unconsciously, unintentionally, We can limit, we can quench the Spirit by just ignoring it. We can quench the Spirit by when He is trying to speak to us, uh, trying to tell us, you know, spend time in my Word or, or don't put ourselves in positions under something else's authority. Don't let something else bind you up. We can quench the Spirit that way. We need to make sure to have the full effect of the Holy Ghost in our lives, that we are filled with the Spirit, that we are walking in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we need to make sure that we are not quenching the Spirit. Oftentimes, I believe that the reason that we don't see the miracles or the signs or the wonders or the prayer requests answered, it's not because God has lost any of His power. It's not because God has lost any of his ability, because he hasn't. He is all-powerful, and if he's healed it once, he can heal it again. He is the great physician. There is nothing that is too hard for God. But oftentimes, I feel that prayers and requests and needs and petitions that are brought before the Lord remain unanswered because we neglect, because we quench the Spirit. God has filled us with His Spirit. If you have never been filled with the Spirit of God, with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, God wants to fill you with the Spirit. That's that's the essential part of the plan of salvation. But once He has filled us with His Spirit, once He has ignited that flame in our life, it is now our responsibility. Not God's responsibility, not your pastor's responsibility, it's not your parents' responsibility. But just as Paul spoke to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you have been filled with the Spirit. You have had spiritual giftings that have been placed in your life when we prayed for you. But Timothy, it is your responsibility to not let that fire go out in your life. Because if you do, the Spirit can't be active. If you let that fire that is burning and raging in your life just dwindle down to coals or maybe just a few ashes, the Spirit will be limited. But Timothy, the 
responsibility is on you. I filled you with my spirit. Don't quench the spirit, but fan into flames the gift that God has put in you. You've probably heard it before, and I'll repeat it again. John Wesley, he was a preacher. He said, get on fire for God, and men will come and see you burn. Get on fire for God, and men will come and see you burn. Would you stand with me tonight? We need to make sure that we are a people that are filled with the Spirit. If we desire to see a revival in our schools or in our families, if we desire to see people healed and miracles and signs and wonders happen, if we desire to see people called to the mission field or called to go to Bible school to be pastors or evangelists, Sunday school teachers, ushers, whatever it is, if we desire to see that in our lives, if we desire to, desire to see it in our midst, we need to make sure the responsibility is on us that we do not quench the spirit that God has placed inside of us. Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for each and every young person that is here under the sound of my voice tonight. And God, I just pray that this word has found good soil in our lives tonight. And I pray that your word has challenged others as it has challenged me. God, you have filled us with your spirit, but there is a responsibility that falls on our shoulders to make sure that we are not quenching the spirit, we are not resisting the spirit, and we are not grieving the spirit. But God, you have called us, just as Paul spoke to to Timothy, to fan this into a flame, to put fuel on the fire, not to neglect it, not to put it out, not to let it smolder and burn away. But Lord, you have filled us with your spirit and desire that we be continually filled to overflow. Because God, it is out of the overflow of our life that we can pour out and minister and pray and see miracles and signs and wonders. And so Lord, I thank you for every hearer of your word tonight. But God, I pray that your word would challenge us, not just in this moment, but as we lay our head down tonight and and just think about this word that you have spoken to us. God, I pray that this challenge through your word will convict us and say, God, have I quenched your spirit? God, have I been resisting or pushing back? Have I grieved your spirit with how I'm living my life? God, I pray that we would just analyze our life tonight and reflect upon how we've been living and just ask ourselves those questions and be honest with ourselves. In Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray as we close tonight that you would open windows and doors of opportunity for each and every one of us to find somebody that is hurting and desperate need of you. God, open those windows and doors of opportunity. Lead us to somebody, Lord, that needs you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen.